let us never lose sight of the fact that the God we just worship, the God we are here to worship, the undefeated one, the one that's so great, is in this place. His Spirit's here among us. He's worthy to be praised. This isn't just a time for us to sing songs and go through the motions. God himself is here. He's among us. He's in us. He wants to do something in this place. He wants to do something in you this morning. Let's pray to him now. Let's just go before him and just sit for a moment in the reality that our Lord is here. Heavenly Father, you are great. Mountains bow down. As we lift you up, we just sang, there is no other name, Lord. As your people are gathered here today, let us not lose sight of that. You're holy, you're worthy. You're the one we want to magnify. Every heart, every breath, every action, every word, every deed, Lord, it's all worthy to give you praise. We are your people and you are our God. Father, let our church just be filled with that reality. Let us never lose sight of you as creator and Lord. That you are powerful, that you spoke the world into motion. You have the ability to change a human heart. You have the ability to heal people. You have the ability to maybe not change our circumstances all the time, but you definitely have the ability to walk with us through them so that through your name we can more than overcome them through the one who first loved us. Lord, we need more of you. Father, this nation needs more of you. It's so broken. The divisions are so deep. Each and every day, people are crying out for something else. And we know it's you. You're the only answer. Lord, let you be Lord of our hearts. Guide us as we surrender to you so that your church living out amongst the world would point the world to a different way. That in divisions that they would see that when our lives are surrendered to the one and only Lord, that people are unified, that nations may even crumble, but those that call upon your name will be lifted up. Father, as we go to your word this morning, I just ask that you'd quiet our hearts and minds, that we, would, that we would be opened up to what you have to share through me. Lord, allow people's hearts, their heads, their whole beings to be, to be moved by you this morning, not by the guy on stage. Lord, allow what happens here this morning change the way we live today change the way we live tomorrow. May this Sunday influence Monday, that you would be glorified in everything we do, in every family, in every relationship, that all things would be reconciled to you, 
because of your work in our hearts and lives. It's a tall order that one service, one message could do so much, Lord, but it's not about me. It's not about the people in this place. It's about you. And you can do more than we could ever imagine if we would just have faith. So, Lord, we give this time to you and ask it to glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. So if this is your first time here, you're jumping in on week three of a series called The Making of a Disciple. And if you're asking yourself right now, is this guy always a mess? The answer is yes, he is. (laughs) And God is just at work in this place. And I hope he's at work in your heart this morning. Because he's here. And he's ready to do something. And I don't want to get in the way of that this morning. We're asking the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? Because that's what it's really all about. We're followers of Jesus. He invites us to follow him. And then he says, when he invites us to follow him, he says, and I will make you into fishers of men. I will have you fish for people. I'm going to make you into something that you weren't. I'm going to use who you are, and I'm going to transform it to become something that I want you to become. And that's somebody who follows me, that's somebody who invites people to follow me, that's somebody whose heart is, becomes one like mine, whose head is aligned with the things I know, whose heart is aligned with the things that move me for compassion, whose hands do the things that I did. I want you to follow me, I want you to imitate me. I am your Lord, I am your teacher, and you are to be my disciple. So how do we become better disciples and how do we make disciples of our own, of, our, uh, of, of Jesus on our own? That's the point of this series. That's the point of, it's just even tip, dipping our toe into this conversation. I shared with you the first week a, uh, a quote that I came across years ago that really changed the way I thought about discipleship, changed the way I even thought about church. It said this, if you make disciples, you always get a church But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. The end game of making disciples is the church. It's the the ecclesia. It's the called out people, called out from the world into a community with each other to live a different way that points the world to Jesus. It's not a building. We know this, right? We even sing songs about it. We teach our kids. You know, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. See all the people. You know that? Yeah, we know this. Like, it's in here, but is it really in here? Do we know that? No, it's not about just doing church. Of course, listen, I want you to make sure you know this early on. Like, I love the church. I love this church. I want us to be a great church. But if we think about the church as the building, as the people, as the programs, we're going to miss it. Because the point of all of this is to make disciples from the tallest to the most senior person in the room, to make a disciple who will make disciples, to be a disciple-making machine that points people to the world. We all know what it is we're supposed to do because the end game to all of that, if we focus on discipleship, is the church. But we can worry about all this other stuff. We can worry about all the church things, the budgets, making sure this is, and then have arguments about the right way to do church. And in the end, we're not going to do anything right. We're not going to really do what God's called us to do, which is to make disciples. And I shared this, what is a disciple? 
What is discipleship? It's the process of moving from unbelief to belief about what is true of God and the gospel in absolutely every area of life. If you're not a believer, if you're here this morning visiting, I want you to know that we think that this book tells us everything we need to know about following God. We believe it is the very word of God. And we believe as we open this word and as we read these words that God speaks to us and he challenges the places in our heart and our life that are not aligned with his will. And then his Holy Spirit inside of us calls us to repent of those things. And repent is a word that really just means change your heart, your mind, and your life. It's a turning. It's a turning from those places, those thoughts, those actions that you have to believe that what is true about God and the gospel truly penetrates all of your life. And discipleship is a, a lifetime, ongoing process of engaging God, engaging the work of the Holy Spirit so that your heart and life become more aligned with him and your life, what's seen on the outside, looks more like Jesus. We'll never end this I've shared before, I have, I have some mentors. I have one mentor that's up in his upper uh, 70s, which is really young. I'm getting brownie points this morning. It's really young. You know, and when I meet with him and he shares that, uh, he shares he's still in this process, it's humbling to me. Because I think, wow, I can't even imagine being where you're at and still thinking that the Lord's not finished with me. It's an ongoing process. And so we here this morning are pursuing this process. This morning, I want to point us to this scripture, Acts 2, 42 to 47. If you have scripture with you this morning, I want to read that together this morning, uh, Acts 2, 42 to 47. If you don't, I'm going to read it out loud, and, and a little bit later, we'll have the words up on the screen. Acts 2, 42 says this, and they, that's the followers of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together in the breaking of bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In the book of Acts here we have a picture of what the fellowship of the believers looked like in the early church. Shortly after Pentecost when all of these souls came to know Jesus. How they lived their life together. And that's really what we're going to talk about this morning. You know my my, uh, upbringing in church may have been a little bit different from yours. And we probably had some similarities as well. But when I, when I grew up in church, as maybe, maybe many of you know, I was a pastor's kid. You know, and pastor's kids are sometimes the greatest kids and sometimes they're the worst. You know? And we had, one, we had this language in our family that was basically, we just called the church our church family. We call it our church family. And it was supposed to be our church family. And we had, we had close relationships with people. But I have to be honest with you. This is, this is my perspective. It doesn't, I don't think, have anything to do with the people within the church. It was just my perspective. But for me, it never really felt like a family. It never really felt like a family because I felt like as a pastor's kid that I couldn't really be me in the church. 
Because I, I was worried, like, if I, if I acted a certain way that, you know, the church would look bad upon my dad. You know, like, oh, that guy doesn't know how to handle his family, you know, because the kid's acting like an eight-year-old, and he's eight. <laughs> it, it happens in other churches, not this one, but it does, believe it or not, you know. Or I felt like, or I felt like we had to, like, like, I had to put on a mask or something when I went to church. I had to be something so that people wouldn't look down on me. So I couldn't really do life the way I did with a family. Because, you know, with your family, you know, you can look one way in church, but with your family, it's completely different. I mean, some of you probably did this this morning. You, you screamed, like, literally the whole way, looking in the mirror on the way to church this morning, getting your kids in shape. You power slid into the driveway, into the parking space, and you get everybody out. You're like, okay, church face. Right? Because that's what, it, that's what we do at church. We don't really get into each other's lives. It's not like it is at a family where in a family, you know, you could have those moments when, when uh, you know, you're screaming and then the phone rings. I, I think I've shared this before. Our house, you know, we would be screaming and fighting and then the phone would ring. And my mom had this uncanny ability just to pick up the phone and be like, go next. You know, but, the, but what's happening behind the scenes is, is real life. And I never experienced that with a family. And then something happened. Jessica, my wife Jessica and I, in our early 20s, we got involved with a church. And this church was really, really involved in having people in community with one another. They believed that to have true community, not that we can't have community in this size of church, but they believed if you got into smaller community, if you got into the smaller groups, as we call them, that you could really do life together. For me, that was the first time in my entire life I could say, yeah, this church thing really does seem like family. Because you can put on a church face once a week, but once you start meeting with a group of people, a smaller group of people, every single week, eventually the ugly comes out. And eventually you think, oh, I don't know if I really wanted to know this about this person. But if you meet, and if you meet on a regular basis, eventually somebody has a bad day at work. Eventually somebody has a fight with their kid. Eventually, somebody gets cancer. This is what happens. And as a family, as a small group, the masks have to come off. And eventually, as you do that, you pick up this this scripture together, and you actually can have honest conversations about, I read this, I believe that Jesus is saying this, but I can't do it. This is what happened in, in our small group, and it changed everything changed everything for me, changed everything for Jessica. Because the first time ever I discovered a piece of the church that I didn't know existed, but I was always looking for it. And I came to the conclusion, for me, for me that a church is not a place where everyone knows everyone. That's impossible. But it is a place where everyone is known by someone. And that's my heart for the church, If our church gets larger, if the Lord brings more people to faith and our church gets larger, eventually it's going to get to the place where you're not going to know everybody. But it's important. It's a part of the Christian experience. It's a part of what God wants to do with us as disciples, that it is a place where everybody is known by someone. Not just a hello, not just a mask, but it's a place where you really are vulnerable with one another and walk through the life of what it means to follow Jesus together. Because you and I, we were created for community. 
And when we receive Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit came into us, and the Holy Spirit is part of God's, and God is triune. God himself is in community with himself. We were created to be in community with him, and he created us to be in community with him and with each other. It's part of the fabric of who we are. There is no such thing, folks, as a lone ranger in the body of Christ. There's no such thing as that. It's not what we were created to do. That's why with, when people say to me, well, I follow Jesus, but I don't need the church. I don't need a community of faith to be part of. I say, well, then you really don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. Because to be someone who follows Jesus is somebody who is also intertwined in community and life with other people. And I want us to be a church. I believe to be a disciple, we have to be a place. Not where everyone knows everyone, but where everyone is known by someone. Now we talked about Jesus last week and how Jesus had relationships. And we talked about one of the first relationships that Jesus pursued when he was on the earth. In his life and ministry, he had a relationship with the Father. He did his life with God. And everything he did, everything started that way. He spent time with God, and then he went out and did his ministry, but then he would go back and spend time with God. And I challenged you, and can I just say how excited I am to see the number of people, or to hear the number of people, who have taken steps this week and are, are up, in their, up in their time with the Lord. People are doing the, the Soul Revolution app, and, and I hope, I hope that you have invited him to be part of your life, and your life with God has grown during this time. Keep going. Keep going. There's just, you're just scratching the surface of what God wants to do, because Jesus did that all the time. But he also had another relationship that he pursued during his life in ministry. It, is, it, was, it was with his followers. He invited people to follow him, and then he did life with them. Like, Jesus didn't do this thing where he was like, show up every Saturday, I'm going to teach you at the temple for an hour, and then everybody goes home and lives their own life, and I'm going to go and do, you know, make sure the temple runs the right way or the, uh, the synagogue runs the right way, and then you guys come back next week. Like, that's not how Jesus did it. Jesus did life with these people, and he invited... Have you ever picked apart this passage? One day he came, and he called his disciples and chose the twelve, whom he named the apostles Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. These are just the 12. These are the 12 that he, he called to do life with him. But there was also more than that. There were 72 that he had that followed him. And they followed him around and did life with him. And there was, there was three of these guys, Peter, James, and John, that he really did. Like, they got involved in relationship even more together. And he spent time even in a smaller group of them, really teaching them and, and doing life with them and inviting them into the deeper parts of where he was going. This is what Jesus did. And if you ever think about the people that are on this list or the people that are involved probably in that 72 or further, man, they're a ragtag bunch and nothing would ever tell you that they would go together and they would live life together. Do you realize that? I mean, there's fishermen on this list, okay? And the fishermen are hanging out with a tax gatherer, a tax collector, a traitor to the Jewish people. That's what they thought anyway. They were hanging out with him. And then on top of it, there was a zealot, a zealot who didn't want the Roman government to be a part of Israel. And so they would actually, the zealots actually had an issue and they would sometimes have uprisings and riots. Do you realize that a zealot in many places, in many circles, Simon the zealot, would want to kill a tax collector? Do you realize that? 
And Jesus called them both to follow him. We think we got problems in the church or in this, in this culture because we have divisions. There was divisions in the people Jesus called to follow him. And then on top of that, there was these women that followed Jesus. One of the women that followed Jesus, Luke tells us, was actually the wife of one of the people that served in Herod's court. So we've got an aristocrat hanging out, aristocrat woman, hanging out and financing the ministry of a guy, of a, of a Jewish leader who has fishermen following him, and a tax collector following him, and a zealot following him. Do you understand that maybe for us, we just read through these and we don't catch it, but do you understand that this would have been mind-blowing to the people of this time? That all these people would have been gathered together, and not just to hear some guy teach. No, they actually did life together. They spent time together with them. He built strong relationships with them. And over three years of his ministry, they ate together. They included each other in each other's lives. They laughed together. I'm sure they met, they, they met each other's families. The scriptures actually tell us that sometimes Jesus would be in their house or their, their parents' house. This was a time where they gathered together and truly knew who each other was knew everything about. And this was the place where Jesus believed as his disciples they would grow because this is where the rubber would meet the road. This is where life would really happen and how his teachings would really get applied to life. They did life together. This is what disciples did. This is how Jesus called his disciples and how they lived. And the early church started this way too. This wasn't just Jesus, and this is why I believe it's so natural in Acts 2.42 for us to see this. That, they, that when the early church was gathered together, when the early church called on Pentecost and, and thousands were saved and they started to figure out how to live in the way as they called it before they were called Christians, when they started to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do we follow Jesus in this new way, even though he's ascended to the Father? What do we walk out? And Acts 2.42 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, So the apostles were telling them the things that Jesus told them, so they devoted themselves to this. They made life with God a priority, just like we talked about last week. They did. They devoted themselves to this. This word devoted literally means in all of these things, the three things we're going to talk about, this devoted means a steadfast, single-mindedness to these things. This is what they put all of their time, all of their effort, and devoted all of their life together around. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It's the Greek word koinia. It really means that it's distinctive to the Christians. The fellowship wasn't like, let's build a room and call it the fellowship hall. You know, let's try to make a room and then, and then it'll naturally happen. No, what, it, what the scripture is trying to tell us, and I want, I want you to see this morning, is that when it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship, it means that it was so distinctive the way that these believers hung out that other people around were like, hmm, that's really weird. That's really strange. This is something that this group of people does. And the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now it's possible that the breaking of bread is the bread and the cup. It could be uh, possibly the love feast. It could be that they just sat around tables in each other's homes and ate. Scholars argue about this stuff. I'm not a scholar, so I don't argue about it. I just say, you know what? It's probably all three. And that's cool. But let's, let's make sure we're doing that, Right? They're in each other's homes. They're doing life together. Have you ever noticed that something's different when you go to the church for a meal? Not that they're wrong, but you have a carrying meal at the church, 
and the conversations you have there versus if you had a few people from church over to your house around your table. Have you ever noticed how the dynamic is different? It's interesting. People get real as they devote themselves to that. And it tells us, awe came on every soul. That doesn't mean it's just the Christians. That means everybody in the community, awe came upon them. And many wonderful signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Their life together even said that we're going to care for one another. This does not mean socialism. This does not mean communism. Do you understand that that's completely different from government intervention versus the intervention of the Holy Spirit on working in people's hearts where people's hearts are pulled toward one another and when they see a brother or sister in need, they're moved by the Spirit of God to meet it. That's what was part of their life together. No person had need. They had all things in common. And folks, I believe some of that all things was even the messy stuff. Like my kids acting out and I have no idea what to do. I'm going to have all things in common with you. And I'm going to share with you that. And then someone else will say, you know what? I have a kid that's 16 too. And this is something we're going through. So let's talk about this. Let's pray with one another about this. Let's see what the Lord would share with us so that we can walk through this together. All things in common as we have a need is what they say. And then it says this, and day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. The passage says day by day, all day every day, they had this flow in their lives. They attended the temple together. They hung out in Solomon's porch together. And then they went to each other's homes. And they did stuff in each other's homes. And they literally did life together. I believe if we're going to be disciples, we have to pursue this life together. I do. I think Jesus did it with his disciples. I think the early church did it. And unfortunately, as we move into 2018, the church sometimes doesn't do it. The church sometimes just says we're going to go to church and then we're going to do a life separate from church. And you know how I know this is sometimes a struggle? It's because like even me as pastor, like I have to chuckle. Don't, don't get upset when I say this, but I have to laugh when I see people in, the, in, in public sometimes and they're like, oh, hello pastor. My worlds have collided. I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know? Because we just compartmentalize everything. But do you know, as, as Christians, as a family in God, like, like we're meant to do life together. And we try to, we try to program church and we, we try to have all of these things where really the early church says it was just, it all flowed together. It was just part of how they lived. Like, we were Christians, it's a new family, we're going to do things together. The problem is that this doesn't come naturally to us. You know what comes naturally? Compartmentalization comes naturally. Well, I have these people, this is my family, and then I have my work friends, and then I have my church friends, then I have the friends that I don't want anybody at the church to know that I hang out with, right? This is how we do things. It doesn't come naturally. So as disciples, as followers of Jesus who are trying to align our lives with Jesus, we actually have to develop inward rhythms, a rhythm of life that actually changes our hearts to pursue life together. We have to be intentional about it. And the reason is, is because relationships with one another, relationships with God, were fractured from the beginning. Read Genesis 3 in the story of the fall. 
As soon as sin entered the world, so did finger pointing and breaking of relationships. And so it's something that's ingrained in us that was broken from the beginning, and it's something we have to change. And why do we have to change it? Because as followers of Jesus, that's what we were called to do. Folks, Jesus couldn't have been any clearer. Look what he said before he went to heaven with his father. He said, the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then here's the big thing. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. By this, by this thing, this is the one thing that people will know, that you follow me, that you are my disciple. How? If you have love for one another, if you do life together, if the way that you hang out is so distinctive that people think, wow, what is up with these people? We spent a whole series talking about this. This is the definition of what it means to be a disciple. We have to do life together. And we do life together through the one another's. I put them in our notes because I'm going to fly through them, but I wanted you to have them, and I knew some of you would be writing uh, furiously as you're trying to keep up this morning. But look at all these. The purpose of this is just to show you how many times the New Testament talks about this. Look at at all these scriptures. Romans 12.10, love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. These are letters to churches. Then we have more. Have equal concern for each other. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Be compassionate to one another. It goes on. Forgive each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Bear with each other. Forgive each other whatever grievances you have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your, make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Love one another. Love one another. And here's the thing. You can't program this one anotherness. You can't program life together. The New Testament, the entire New Testament is very clear. Our lives as disciples are to be a pursuit of life together where we one another one another. You can tweet that. It is. I can't make it up. It's in there. And you know what? It's really hard to do this for an hour every Sunday. It's really hard to do this by going, hey, how you doing? How was your week? It was good. How about you? Yeah, it was good. All right, let's go in and listen to this funny guy talk. All right, see you next week. It's hard to one another one another that way, isn't it? It's really hard to do life together that way, isn't it? And so we try to do other things. We try to schedule other programs and other things that actually don't actually become a life together. They actually become another step or another thing on the calendar that we compartmentalize with everything else. And and Jesus says, no. Jesus says, if that was the way I would have done it, I would have modeled that. But I didn't model that. I called a group of people around me and we walk through life together and we walk through what it means to be a follower of Jesus together. So how does our church become a place where we do this? How does a church become a place where we shift from a place where we go on Sunday to a place where we do life together? Because, you know, it's clear we are a family. At least we're supposed to be. I mean, all through Scripture, even the Old Testament, God refers to his relationship with his people in paternal language. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us we're supposed to pray to him as Father. Paul tells us that we're co-heirs with Christ, that we, he's, he's really our brother, which blows my mind. And we are brothers and sisters. We're a family, but you can't program that. You can't do 
this through church programs. It has to be a different place. And how do we become a place where we do this? And it's a place where not everybody's going to know each other the same way, but it's a place where everybody's known by somebody. I believe, I believe the best way to do that is in circles. I believe the best way to do that is the same way that I discovered the very first time I really discovered church. And you may say to, my, say, may say to me, well, 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 Dan, that's a program. Well, yes, you can make circles, you can make groups a program, or it can be a place where you pursue life together. Because what circles, what small groups, whatever you want to call them, the churches come up with thousands of names for them, what circles when you sit around a table together, what it circles when you actually do life together do is they form rhythms in your life that are different from the Sunday to Sunday rhythm that doesn't actually form you to do life together, that forms you to go to a place to learn about Jesus, which is very good, but it's not enough. So we have to have circles where we eat together. Can I just tell you how good it is to be in a small group and eat good food? I mean, the next small group that I'm in at this church, I'm going to be picking people who I know can cook. So I'm just saying that's the way I'm going to do things. But eat together because something happens when you're around a table, does it not? It really does. When you fellowship with one another, you have honest questions with one another, you have to take the masks down. And sometimes you see things you don't want to see. But if you're seeing things in other people that you don't want to see, that's probably because God's not finished with them yet. And how are we ever going to have God lead us to a place where we move from unbelief to belief in every era of our life if we think that everybody who's a Christian with us only ever gets to see the things that he's already taken care of? It's not going to be good. We serve together. You know, I've never been on a missions trip, a short-term mission trip with people where my heart wasn't knitted to with them by the end of the trip, ever. And yet, once again, we only do that once a year on a trip someplace else when we don't even think about that same dynamic could actually happen if our circles would serve our community the same way. And imagine what would happen is if when that service was over, you actually were eating together the next week. How much more would that transform our lives together? A place where we sacrifice together, where we provide time, our talents, our treasures. Listen, when we actually are in circles together, when our lives are in line with one another, when we grow closer as a family and we go to the church, the sacrifice doesn't seem so hard. You know why? Because I can tell you right now, every single one of you will sacrifice all the time in the world. Every single one of you will sacrifice every talent, every ability you have in the world. Every single one of you will sacrifice whatever it takes to help someone somebody and help them move forward if they're a member of your family. But then we get to the church, and when we think about church not as life together, but if we think of the church only as a place that we go, then we say, well, I'm not going to give money unless they're doing the things I want them to do. I'm not going to give money unless I agree with them. Well, I'm going to withhold money because I don't like the sermon the pastor preached last week. Not this church, but other churches, this happens. But when we have a mindset that says, no, this is our family, this is our life together, we are on mission for God, we'll give everything for one another. It's a place where we listen and confess to one another. Can I tell you that there is nothing, nothing, say it one more time, nothing 
more dangerous than a church where people cannot confess sin to one another because they're worried for being judged. There is nothing that Satan wants more than for people to expose their sins to one another because as long as they're in the dark, he can play. But as soon as they're brought into the light, they lose their power. And as soon as you have a brother or a sister that can walk alongside you, love you through it, work with you, because chances are they've dealt with it or are dealing with it too, it's exposed to the light and your life is transformed. But you know what? It's been my experience. There's very few churches where that can happen. There's places in churches where people live through lives with secret sins that are never exposed to the power of Jesus Christ and the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit that comes alive when we do life together. And people live and struggle with sin their entire lives because we don't have an understanding of church the way that Jesus wanted us to. We confess to each other. We listen to each other. We get real with one another. I'm telling you, if you don't like to do this, then don't listen to me preach because I'm going to share my junk all the time with you. Because there's nobody that Satan wants to come down, come after and hold secret sin than this guy. Because if he takes you down, he takes you down. He takes me down, he takes a whole church. We have to be a church where we make this a process of being open with one another. We pray together. And not just prayers like we pray what other people say or we pray the way that we heard our dad pray. We pray with one another. When somebody says to us in the lobby, gosh, I had a really tough week. Okay, well, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's take it to the one who needs it. Let's make prayer a normal process in this place where everything we do, we take to him with one another. And it's really hard to pray real prayers that matter, real prayers that move people's hearts, real prayers that move people's lives if we don't listen and confess to one another, if we don't share our lives with one another, because what else do you pray for? Help us all to have a good week. That's a go-okay prayer. But chances are you need a prayer that's much more pointed than that. (laughs) We play together. What? A church is supposed to have fun together? Yes. We are because we're doing life together. I love me and Cliff play golf together. He gets to see me unscripted. He may not like what he sees all the time. I may not like what I show him all the time, but we play together. It's part of our life together. We mourn together. We mourn together. I don't have to tell you more about that. (laughs) We do life together. We follow Jesus around here. And this book, this book tells us what he did, how his life, how his life worked, and how he, he formed rhythms with his people. And then when, when he went to his Father in heaven, he said, go and make disciples, and they established the same rhythms. And as soon as the church began, they did this. And yes, they did life with God, and they pursued him and everything they did, but they pursued life together. And it was in circles, not rows. This thing's not working for me. I think the battery just died. There we go. And I believe circles are better than rows. Doesn't mean I think rows aren't important. Otherwise, why would I be up here? Okay? 
It doesn't mean I don't think you can't learn stuff about God. It doesn't mean that you can't grow in your relationship with God. But I personally believe if we're going to be disciples, we need to know that when you get in circles with one another, when you get in groups with one another, when we get smaller, we also go deeper. And it's in that time in that place where we are together gathering in the, in the church week by week, but we are also breaking bread together with one, in one another's homes where we can truly live out these one another's, where we can truly do life together, where we can truly get real together, where we can truly pursue that list together. And I believe, I've personally seen it, I've seen the fruit of it, that people grow spiritually greater and faster when they pursue a spiritual life in this context, in the circles, and in this context. But I've just seen it in my own life. I've just seen it in my own experience, and I see in the Word where part of being a disciple is being part of a circle. Because they're better than rows. Because we have to take the mask off. Because we have to do life together. And this is what happens in circles. In circles, we move from one voice to many voices. I can't even stand to hear myself talk. And God's called me to do this. And it's okay. Like, I spend time and I pray and I, and I see God and I see fruit from it and I'm so thankful. But can I share with you that one of my greatest struggles as a pastor, one of the things I want to hide from as a pastor is how much importance people put on me and my voice. Because it's about him. And folks, if your only means of spiritual growth is listening to me, oh, you're missing out. You're missing out on what God wants to do. Yes, I spend time. Yes, I've had this schooling. That's important. That's what God's called me to do. But when we go together and we open this book together and we actually multi-voice, many people in a circle start sharing about it. Many people start grappling with it. We move to how do we live it out together? How do we hold each other accountable to it? Something different happens that can never happen here. Because also with one voice comes spiritual passivity. Spiritual passivity. You don't understand what I mean by that? It means all you do is receive. And it's important that people are fed. I hear it all the time. Well, this church didn't feed me. Well, look, I, I, hope, I hope you are being fed. I spend hours each week to make sure you are. But at the same time, we need, to feed, we need to feed ourselves. And we need to be able to move to a place where we're not spiritually passive, we're spiritually active. And where we are pushing each other to grow together. And that happens in a place where you're in accountability with one another. In a circle, not a row. These are things that have to happen. It's not one without the other. It's together, one and then the other. Jesus pursued life with God. He did. And all he did but Jesus also pursued with his disciples life together. Because I believe that disciples pursue life together. And if we're going to be a church of disciples who make disciples, who follow Jesus, who imitate him, we have to be a church that includes in our lives life together. Can I share with you that my dream, my call, my passion is that 80% of a church is involved in circles. And you know what other pastors will tell me? You're crazy. <laughs> That'll never happen. But that's my dream and that's my passion. Because I believe that disciples pursue this life together. And I promise you, if you do it, your life will change. Because Jesus 
operates, his Holy Spirit operates in circles as well as rows, and both are important to your spiritual growth. And I believe circles are better than rows because I believe there is the context where we can do life-on-life discipleship and we can live out the one another's we are called to live. Disciples pursue life together. Are you ready to live this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you sent your son not only to die on a cross so that we may be forgiven for our sins and have eternal life with you, and that's no small thing. That's the the thing. But his life on earth also showed us how to live. His life on earth also showed us a a, a pattern that we're called to live out. And Lord, as we, we grapple with what it means to be his disciple, we see that he, he did it in community and that he brought people into community. He did life together with them. So Lord, this is gonna challenge some people in this place. There's some people in this church this morning who have been lone rangers for a long time. And they're not going to like this. This is going to be a huge step of faith. There's other people that have previous experiences with circles. And it wasn't what they, what we talked about this morning. And they've written them off. There's other people that maybe don't want to have their ugliness shown out to other people. They want to be a place where nobody knows who they are. They don't want to be known because they've never felt safe to be in in a church or in a circle to share what they're struggling with, share, share their confession, confess their sins to one another, Lord. For all those struggles, heck, for those, Lord, there's people that are gonna know that this is gonna require time from an already busy schedule. For all those things, Lord, I know that all those challenges means that it's something where you wanna move us and change us so that we can start to live into what it means to be disciples. So Lord, open up their hearts and allow us to be a church that pursues circles as well as rows. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.